Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is a show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Hoop Dreams. And joining us today is our special guest, Mike Farah. Hey, Mike. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. We are very excited, very excited to talk to you. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do, Mike? Uh, that's a good question. What is it that I do? <laughs> I feel like I tell people, but then they still always ask, so what is it you do? Right. My, my, my mom basically says he he talks all the time. He talks for a living, <laughs> which is actually accurate because um, I, I had a, a big speech impediment growing up. And hmm. so I went to probably six or seven years of speech therapy. And my mom who gets a lot of credit for keeping me in speech therapy is like, see, you know, now you get paid to talk, which is uh, <laughs> basically accurate. So um, I've been at a company called Funny or Die since 2008. Uh, I was hired as the basically the first producer uh, by the founders there, Will Farrell and Adam McKay and, mm-hmm. and the creative director, Andrew Steele, uh, who is now Harper Steele. Uh, and then I became president of production. And for the last six years, for, for better or worse, I, I've been uh, CEO. And so why I love Funny or Die um, very deeply, it feels much more like a vocation than even a job. And I've been very fortunate because my role has basically changed every few years within the same company. Right. So now as CEO, I'm I'm basically responsible for helping kind of just set the direction and the strategy of the company. Um, I'm very involved in the packaging and selling of shows. And I'm less involved producing, like day-to-day producing or sure. being on set. I'm just a big believer in focusing on the things that you feel like you can do to to kind of add to the team in the best way possible. So if I can do certain things early on in a project or at really at any stage of the process of a project or a company, I really try and focus in on the things that I feel like I can contribute with. And then, you know, like everything, you're only as good as the company that you keep. So then if you have a great team around you, and we always have, then they pick up different areas, whether it's development or production or post or publicity or or whatever it might be. But I do love being a producer and a, and a CEO because it allows you to kind of have your hands in everything, but you don't have to be the, the leader of everything. You can just support and complement. And then, like I said, the things that, you know, I feel like I can do uniquely to help something get a little bit further along. Uh, that's what I do. So, yes, basically talk. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, can you tell us about any of the specific projects you've worked on while at Funny or Die? I've been very fortunate to work on a ton. Yeah. We, it started off the early days of Funny or Die were all about viral videos. Yeah. And your, your audience can't see me, but I'm putting air quotes around <laughs> viral videos because right. it was always so fun in those days for people to come in and be like, yeah, we're looking for three to four viral videos. And we're just like, aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a great team of writers and producers and directors, and, and we just kind of all came up together because that was a moment in time it was after youtube and around when snl started getting into digital shorts it was just a moment in time 
that will never come back, yeah. unfortunately, where like digital filmmaking got more inexpensive. Um, and so you anyone could kind of have a camera and make something look good. You didn't need yeah. like film to process. And it was just kind of like this new moment where, you know, people didn't totally understand the internet, but Funny or Die, and I think something that I brought to the table was just kind of able to make like internet videos feel like little Hollywood productions yeah, with like a writing staff and a crew and a marketing plan. And, and just, it kind of, we made it feel a little bit more familiar. Mm -hmm. And so we did a bunch of videos, you know, we did a very uh, well-known series called between two ferns, yes. with Zach Alphanakis and, and Scott Ackerman, uh, which has been just uh, a tremendous journey to go on, on those folks with. And, and we actually did a movie for Netflix a few years ago, between two ferns, the movie, yeah. probably like the first big one that just was so near and dear to my heart was Prop 8 the musical mm -hmm. with Mark Shaman and, and Adam Shankman. And that was after the, the basically uh, gay marriage was outlawed in, in the 2008 election cycle. So it was great getting just in, incredible people together to kind of do like a one day um, like high school musical, but just yeah. with like all A-list performers. And that's kind of like what put us on the map. And obviously Will Ferrell and Adam McKay and Chris Henchy and Judd Apatow, all those folks being involved just was such a, a, a differentiation for yeah. us. And so I felt like it was my job to kind of come in and, and support what those folks wanted to do and our writers wanted to do, but also expand the company out. Yeah. So we did a lot of digital videos. We're able to kind of evolve into long form programming and TV and film and some podcasts. And, and that's kind of, we've always been very fortunate to, to get a lot of stuff made and put a lot of different creators to work. And that ultimately is really the value proposition of, of a producer is like, what can you help a creative writer, director, actor, whoever, what can you help get made? Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's kind of always been our calling card. Awesome. Fantastic. So what was your path for your career? How did you get started and really find yourself producing for Funny or Die? Yeah, well, it goes back to uh, the school that you're wearing the hat of, IU. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy I, I went to IU. I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, originally. My, my whole family really went to Michigan, but but I went to IU, which was just uh, a great fit and, and, mm -hmm. and decision for me. My senior year of college, I'd had a, a very unfulfilling corporate finance internship in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, I, I saw a kid who I, I wasn't close with, but I, I just had some classes with it. He, he also went to IU. His name is Josh Golson. And I asked him what he did. And he said, I interned in Hollywood at Warner Brothers. And my mind was just like blown. I was just like, that's a thing you can actually do. And he gave me this big book called The Hollywood Creative Directory. And it was just like a big book that no longer exists yeah. of just all these companies in Hollywood. So I just started reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like actually a thing. And, and him doing it definitely inspired me. And so after graduating from IU, I went back to Michigan and I saved up some money. And in the fall of 2001, I drove to LA um, and just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was very, very fortunate that um, it just felt like where I was supposed to be mm -hmm. just within just a handful of days. And that feeling has never gone away. Yeah. And so I had a bunch of random jobs. I, I was a security guard at movie premieres. I was wow. a food expediter. Yeah, I was a food expediter at the Standard Hotel, working overnights and weekends, doing a bunch of unpaid internships during the day. Mm -hmm. 
I was actually fired from an unpaid internship at, at New Regency Productions. Um, so may, I don't know if their, their internship program has uh, changed since 2002, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good for me back then. I even had to enroll at in Santa Monica College to get college credit to take an unpaid internship I, I was subsequently fired from. So that is possible. My big break was getting a job at UTA, United Talent Agency, and I was so fortunate to get a job there through a big Michigan supporter, one of the founders, Peter Benedict. And I went to his house with a a friend of mine, a writer named Yoni Brenner, and I was able to meet Peter and and I just spoke to him for a very brief amount of time. And the next day I woke up with a job offer uh, in the UTA mailroom. So Peter and that that conversation really changed a lot because up until that moment, I always kind of felt like I was on the outside looking in a little bit. Though I wouldn't change anything mm-hmm. to to get to to that point, because in hindsight, like all those kind of random things created a, a really great foundation for me to kind of build off of. And so I was at UTA, and I worked for an amazing woman named Shauna Eddy in the the motion picture lit department. She represented writers and directors. And then after about a year, um, there was a big movie at Sundance that year called Hustle and Flow. Oh, yeah. And I went to Sundance and I was able to introduce myself to the writer director, Craig Brewer. And I just really that movie really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that Craig and his producing partner, Stephanie Elaine, were kind of looking for some help because they were launching a company together. And so I got a job working for Stephanie Elaine, who's an incredible producer and and human being. And so I left uh, UTA and I went to them. They had a deal at Paramount. That that movie was so big that like they sold the movie, they got a commitment for other movies and they got a production deal, uh, which is just bananas. Um, and so, yeah, I worked with Craig and Stephanie. I was fortunate to work on two or three movies with them over the course of the, that time, uh, and just got to know more about what a producer does and development. And then I started producing. And again, that's kind of like when internet comedy and digital content started to kind of go from just like cat videos on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> something a, a little bit, uh, more ambitious, not to disparage the people. No, who are no, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> not, not so here to disparage the cat videos. <laughs> yeah, well said. Um, and so I started producing a lot of online comedy with up and coming comedians, a lot of them from UCB, Upright Systems, oh, Big cool, Theater, yeah. and opened up in LA. And then uh, there was a writer's strike. Uh, I want to say maybe fall of 2007 or so. And so the company at Paramount with Craig and Stephanie kind of wound down and I was just on unemployment making internet videos. It was a great situation because I didn't need much to live on. And uh, Funny or Die ended up featuring some of the stuff that I worked on. Um, Specifically a video that I did with Jerry O'Connell, the great Jerry O'Connell, Owen Burke, who had been working for Will and McKay at Gary Sanchez. Owen had been a PA on Joe's apartment, the Jerry okay. O'Connell MTV films yeah. vehicle where he was surrounded by co- talking yeah. cockroaches, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it just goes to show you, even from the earliest stage, you know, you, you've got to treat people well and work yeah. hard and because it becomes like this, just like going to a big school like IU, right? You, you get mm-hmm. to your first day, my first class at IU had more people in the class than my entire high school in the hour. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, but you're just like, oh, wow, this is intimidating, but slowly, but surely you kind of find your community and you find your path and it feels much smaller. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing in Hollywood. And so um, that's how I kind of got into Funnier Die was through those videos I was making and Jerry and Owen. And like I said, I've been at Funnier Die ever since, since 2008. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Well, since joining Funny or Die, you've had many different positions, starting as a producer and then moving on to the president of production and then now CEO. How do your responsibilities change from each of those positions and what's your day to day look like? Yeah, it's a good question. In many ways, it hasn't changed at all. And in many ways, it has. It hasn't changed at all because really a, a producer's job is many you're the producer is essentially responsible for the finished product from the creative from the marketing from the budget the schedule etc and you basically have to put people in a position to succeed like top to bottom that's that's really what you're trying to do you're trying to identify people who will help the project get stronger at every step that you're going Mm -hmm. And that's, that's similar to kind of running a company. So whereas before I might be producing, you know, a drunk history video, mm-hmm. it's not all that dissimilar to like producing the company in a way that's trying to, you know, get the, get the best product, the best outcome using the resources that you have and the people that you have all kind of working towards the same goal. So it's a little bit easier on a movie or a video because you're just like, oh, well, we're trying to make the funniest thing possible. With a company, there's there's a lot that goes into it in terms mm-hmm. of the content that we make and and the direction that we're going in and the hiring and the management and the strategy. And, and as you guys know from your conversations and just being consumers in this day and age, entertainment and media has changed so much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's trying to get the the best out of people and, and create a rewarding experience for them so that they're really passionate about what they're doing and um, you're creating an environment where they can do their best work. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I said before, it's, it's a lot of helping to set up projects at the beginning and putting the pieces together and then helping and just supporting people as they come closer and closer to um, production. Yeah. Great. In the content creation process, how much influence do you have as the CEO over that? You know, I, I'm definitely not the writer or the director. Yeah. I'm probably the role closest is to like executive producing. Okay. Even producing is like, more in the trenches. Yeah. Like I was telling you, I, I talked to a friend who was on set in yeah. Italy today. Yeah. He is a producer of White Lotus. Okay. Uh, so they're doing season two. Awesome. Right. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great friend and producer, David Bernad. And, and he's in Italy until June. He'll be there six months producing that show. Wow. That is real producing i'm lucky to be on set for like six hours i'm just like the dude who shows up we did a show called billy on the street with billy eichner for many seasons and and it became like a running joke over the five or six seasons that we did where like i would just always show up and then just bring good weather with me so that's really (laughs) what my my role was you know it's a lot of relationships like people that i've worked with for so long getting to know new people that we can work with understanding the trends that are going on in hollywood whether it's podcasts or ip or international 
you know, it's very important to identify just the waves that are happening in Hollywood and figuring yeah. out how you can add your kind of like layer to that and, yeah. and get some projects going. The The team definitely makes fun of me because I, I, I have been known to have uh, kernels, like kernels of ideas. Yeah. But even just having a kernel of an idea, like, for example, a kernel of an idea that we're doing is a celebrity pickleball tournament with Stephen Colbert. So that was inspired by me. Yeah, <laughs> that was inspired by me playing pickleball with my mom back in Michigan. Nice. And so I might have a kernel of an idea, but it takes countless people to actually yeah. take a kernel and turn it into something good. Mm-hmm. There are some ideas and notions you might have, but then it takes so many people to kind of make it reality. And we kind of want everyone at the company to have a combination of like original ideas, ideas that they hear from creators that they know. And then it's like, oh, how can we get this made? How can we make it great? How can Funnier Die be additive and bring yeah. other additive people into it? to make it as impactful a show or piece of content as possible. Fantastic. So, uh, so many of the projects that Funny Your Die seem like they involved heavy improv or improvisation, um, either from, you know, the actors in it or when they're interviewing celebrities or just people on the street. Or, I mean, I mean, you guys do so many, you produce so many different projects. From a producer standpoint, is that stressful to not really know <laughs> what you're going to capture going into it? Or is it really freeing and fun? For me, it's not stressful because I'm not the one doing the improv. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just sitting back and watching it. No, it all goes back to the company you keep. You know, if if you put a creative person in a position to succeed, whether it's totally scripted or improv or somewhere in between, if they feel comfortable and willing to kind of go there and they're in a safe place to be vulnerable, which is which is because I know you guys are performers as well. That's that's mm-hmm. the target, right? How yeah. can you feel comfortable enough to like let go of everything yeah. and explore that moment, that scene, that encounter on the street. If you're, if you're Billy Eichner. So that to me, it's all about creating that environment. Okay. And there are, there's some challenges of course, when you're creating anything like that, because not everything goes according to plan and you don't have unlimited money and this, that, and the other. Sure. Um, but if you're working with talented people and we're so fortunate to do that, um, all the time. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't feel stress. I, I want them to feel good about the product and mm-hmm. their performance. So yeah. you're just kind of always trying to kind of tweak and make adjustments to that environment so that hopefully it's it's what they envisioned. With all these different kinds of things, the specials and the series and the different formats, how do you decide where to release the content? Internet versus, you know, a streaming series versus something else? Yeah, I mean, you don't have much of a choice. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not like at some like blackboard, like moving yeah. like pieces around. Right. Like, okay, we're going to make Amazon do this and Netflix yeah. do this. And <laughs> like, you know, in those, and that's that's like what everyone signs up for. Yeah. That's like the a fascinating thing about Hollywood. And, I, and I'm, I'm grateful. I get to talk to so many people like interested about Hollywood, right? And, and like- they think like once you've done a certain thing, it's just, you're like in and it becomes yeah. easy. Like everything is hard. That's yeah. just like, that's just what's, what's real. But you focus on the things you can control. Right. So what is the idea? What's the talent? Who are the right people? What's the environment? What's the market showing? Mm-hmm. What's the budget level? How can you try and work as an executive producer, CEO, producer to put an idea in the best position possible to have it 
you know, turn out great, yeah. you know, sell it, make money off of it and have it distributed in a manner that gives it the best chance to reach the biggest audience. Cool. So those are all things that you're thinking about and discussing from experience and instinct and everything in between. And then, and then you see where the chips fall. Yeah. We had a, a pitch uh, last year with, I, I won't name the person because yeah. I don't want them to, to, to feel bad. It, this was actually another kernel of ours. Mm-hmm. And we attached like an A-list comedian and it was a great pitch. And we took it out and we went like, oh, for 10. Right now, yeah. we will never. I, we never give up on an idea. Right. So, like when that idea actually gets made, somewhere between the next one and ten years, I'll come back and tell you guys about it. Great. <laughs> it was like the type of thing where everyone's just like, "Oh," and everyone loved the pitch and like, "This is a show." Like, we'll get yeah. back to you immediately. And then we just got pass, 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 wow. pass, and it happens, you know, yeah. despite everyone's best effort. So, you focus on what you can control. And, and the experience of the pitch, even for all the people involved, but it was a great experience, right? That one didn't go our way, but you know, there will be others Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And even with the show not getting picked up or the project not getting picked up, if the pitch experience is positive for all the people making it, at least they won't be like, well, I never want to do that again (laughs) because we got, it was miserable and we got rejected, but it was like, well, it was still really great to do it. And, you know, we have a good idea so that it'll keep them coming back and doing more and more. So I think that's right. you're, you're spot on, Susan. I mean, that's yeah. another thing you can control. Like yeah. comedy is hard. Creating yeah. anything is hard. You never know if something's going to work. But if people have a good experience and everyone feels like they're working towards the same goal and you get through it together, then you try again. Yeah. Do you have any moments from your career that really stand out as just an unbelievable moment where you couldn't believe this is the job you got to do every day or any moments where like, I can't believe this is my job right now? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say that like at least once a week. Yeah. yeah sure. Imagine. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for that. I, I don't take yeah. that for granted. Yeah. I, I still can't believe this is a job and something that I get paid to do. Yeah. Of course you're always grateful and appreciative when something happens but these things take so long and you visualize it happening in so many different ways that actually once it happens without sounding like a jerk you're not surprised right you're just like oh (laughs) this is like this is what the work was for yeah yeah and it happens and then you're immediately on to the next thing and yeah. that's like especially as a producer like that's why I'm, I'm not really on set right like you know if a if a producer if, if someone in my position has done their job well there's literally nothing to do on set yeah so then you say hello and you wish people well and maybe you bring some good weather to new york city with billy <laughs> you know and then you're con- you're just on to the next one because you're trying to create that environment for that next group right you're grateful every day because mm-hmm. it's um, it's a it's it's a very special thing we get to do. Yeah. But then once it happens, I never just think I just never look around and be like, look at what we created. <laughs> like, because it's like it takes a million people to say yes to things. Right. So it's not one person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, one more question for you, Mike. So what advice do you have for people who want to either get into producing or a C level? position at a, at a either a, a studio or a production company or just getting into entertainment business in general what advice do you have for those folks well first of all listen to every episode of life in the credits oh. uh, so, <laughs> that's <laughs> correct 
one, you just have to do it. It's, it's scary. And you have to like leave your comfort zone, but you just have to jump in. You have to read and watch and educate yourself. You have to say yes to doing things. You have to be willing to do the work. You have to love the work. You have to be a little lucky. You have to treat people well because it's that small community that yeah. we were talking about. You have to be good, right? You have to know what you're good at and know what you're bad at and really lean into the things that differentiate yourself in a particular situation. You have to save up money. You have to be disciplined. You have to like deal with phony people. You have to find authentic people. You yourself have to be authentic. So it's... um it's so many things that are just part of the package. But if you're committed to it, and commitment can be lots of different areas, it can be lots of different cities, it doesn't have to be producing in LA. Yeah. But if you are passionate about creation and the arts and working with artists, you can absolutely have a career in entertainment. It may not be what you initially thought it was going to be, but you can get paid to work in entertainment. Whether you're in Indiana, Chicago, Michigan, LA, New York, you can find that path. And so if you've had any even moment of interest or excitement about daydreaming about it, you know, you just have to explore it and see what's right for you. Let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing the 1994 documentary Hoop Dreams. It was written by Steve James and Frederick Marks, and it was directed by Steve James. It stars William Gates and Arthur Agee. It was nominated for the Oscar for Best Film Editing, and in 2005, Hoop Dreams was added to the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. So, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What's this movie about? Yeah, so this is a documentary. It's following William Gates, Arthur Agee. They both are kids from the from inner city Chicago and they're both recruited by St. Joseph High School which is a suburban high school that recruits kids for their basketball team they want a really awesome basketball team so they're out trying to find kids for it um so both Arthur and William end up traveling 90 minutes uh one way to get to this high school every day and then have to travel back at night practicing with this team William really stands out when he gets there he gets he becomes a starter his freshman year uh, he starts to do really well in school whereas Arthur uh, doesn't perform the way the scouts and the coaches really wanted him to so he actually ends up not continuing at St. Joseph um, his family has a hard time paying the fees and the tuition so he actually ends up back at Marshall which is the public high school where he lives so it's just following these two paths of both these kids who are recruited for this basketball program uh, how it affects their lives where they end up it really delves into just also everything going on around them too, being mm -hmm. from the inner city, going to the suburban high school and everything involved in that as well. So I think we'll get more into it, but yeah, absolutely. Brief overview. <laughs> so Mike, you chose this documentary for us to watch. Why did you choose Hoop Dreams? I chose Hoop Dreams because it's one of my favorite movies ever made. Yeah. yeah. I've probably, it's three hours, right? Yes. I've probably seen it I don't even know 40 times yeah over the years it's just it's just the truth it, it, I saw it when I was 15 and and was playing basketball virtually every day and I saw it with two of my best friends uh, in Ann Arbor Michigan who I also played basketball with and it just uh it deeply resonated with yeah. us even though we we obviously weren't growing up in the inner city of Chicago but just that journey mm -hmm. the filmmaking and the storytelling and the humanity it just uh it just has everything yeah. and it holds up 
so well. It's it's just one of those movies I constantly think about. Yeah. And it inspired me in ways I didn't even really know at the time beyond just basketball, but just really um, in filmmaking. And, and there were just some seminal movies that inspired my move out to Los Angeles and, and Hoop Dreams is one of them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this movie is certainly about basketball, but it's also about so many more things as well. It's really about you know, how young athletes are treated and how, you know, some schools can take advantage of kids and their families, especially when those kids come from poor backgrounds. And I mean, it's about struggling with family issues and it's about trying to achieve goals and then make choices about your future. I mean, this is a very powerful film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And just the weight, the weight put on these kids yeah. and their children, their children, when they start this journey in this documentary, yeah, they are literally going the, into high school, the weight put on them by their coaches and even some of their family members and the expectations put on them. is it's crazy to think about a 14 year old having to put that on their shoulders. And like, even though they love basketball and they do want to play, just seeing how that changes through just based on all the people putting their own expectations upon them. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of IU, right. Yeah. Who, who was the, the golden case study yeah. Isaac Thomas, yeah. from the inner city of Chicago was recruited, went to St. Joseph's and then went mm-hmm. down and played for Bobby Knight. Who's in the became, film. Who's in the film. And he became one of the, the greatest point guards ever. Yeah. So that's what they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And obviously it doesn't go that way for William and Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm so glad that you guys watched it uh, and liked it. I think there's a reason why it was it was put into the Libraries Congress yeah. of, as one yeah. of the greatest films ever made. And just the commitment of the filmmakers to be with the yeah. fans for, you know, four, five, six years. Yeah. You know? And that wasn't the original commitment they were making, right? They were making yeah. like this 30 minute thing about eighth graders getting recruited for basketball. And then they made the decision there to be like, nope, this is, there's something else here. We're following these kids till their freshman year of college. Like, like to make that decision almost on the fly because you see something there is also really impressive. Yeah. They do such a good job making you love these, these, yeah. I mean, these are real people. This is mm-hmm. a documentary. So, but the storytelling is so powerful that like, even like, you know, if we were to go to a high school basketball team, a game, you know, we're, we're not invested. We don't care. But because of, you know, these, these, these kids, you know, watching them and, you know, miss a a free throw or miss a layup, it just breaks your heart. And you're like, Oh God, just, we want you to succeed so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're, you're spot on. And you literally see them grow up Mm -hmm. in the movie, right? When, When you meet them, they're 13, 12, 13. And when you say goodbye, they're 18, 19. Right. So it's just just such a formative period in anyone's life. And the families are incredible. The parents yes. Yes. struggle. And it just it just humanizes everything. And it just is yet another reminder that we are so much more similar than different, mm-hmm. despite uh, oh, yeah. where we grow up. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I also love seeing, because for a lot of the film, you don't see Arthur and William interact too much. But then once they both get to those championship games, it was so, it was just really awesome to see how they supported each other. Yeah. And, you know, they went and watched each other. You know, when William lost, Arthur's like, you're going to be okay. And he gave him a big hug. And just to see, I mean, they were both there for each other. I have to ask a question. How do you guys feel about the coach at St. Joseph? I mean, 
I don't love him, but I also think that that's pretty normal for high school, especially a competitive high school basketball program. I think he's a probably pretty standard coach Mm -hmm. attitude wise. I didn't love it because I connected so much with William. I was like, don't talk to him that way. He's a good (laughs) kid. But um, yeah, I also think that's probably pretty standard even today for a high school program. That's really, really trying to get people into college and into the NBA. And so winning focused. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. That's Coach Gene Pingator, who Mm -hmm. who passed away a few years ago. You know, in the movie, he's obviously portrayed as someone like Susan said, who just really cares mainly about winning, less Mm -hmm. about the kids. I think none of us were there. Right, sure. We don't don't know. It's probably the type of situation where a lot of things are true at once. Yeah, He probably was a jerk because a lot of coaches back then and to some degree now, but you know, even Bobby Knight, right? Right. Like you could coaching was different back then. And you, you could just get away with more stuff rightly or wrongly. He was also a teacher at the school. So he was, he he did work with kids and, and try to improve kids' lives, but that competitive nature and, and, and just all the circumstances, like Susan said, about these kids' lives and the pressure, you're just like, well, what good outweighs the bad, mm-hmm. you know? And and that's one of the, the tough questions that the movie poses. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure he didn't love the way he was portrayed. Yeah. But there obviously there was some honesty to it. And so, but they, but they're also telling a story and every right. story kind of needs a little bit of a, of a villain. Yeah. So they're not going to like, if this happened, they're not going to probably show him being a jerk in practice. And then like two days later, staying after, you know, school to help a kid with his school. Exactly. Problem. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was that way all the time. We, we don't know, but it's, yeah. it, it just shows the, the complexity of those types of power dynamics. Mm. Yes. Of inner city kid who thinks getting to the NBA is that his only way out. And perhaps it was. And then you have a white suburban coach who's in charge of winning games and, and kind of feeding the system. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean that, that part of it really stood out to me of like, it really does feel like either the scouts or, you know, the coaches, the whole system is really taking advantage of these kids. You know, they're picking them out of their neighborhoods, promising them things. And then, you know, they interview Arthur's mom talking about how they really took advantage of them. And that, you know, I mean, that's, that's really, it's hard to watch, but it is so interesting to see kind of how that affects these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and them not being able to pay the tuition. So they get kicked out and then the school holds on to the transcripts until they pay their bill. And it's like, Oh my God, like, this is a kid. Yeah, that was tough. It's interesting with the coach from St. Joseph. He does go watch Arthur at the championship game and right. he didn't have to do that. So that does kind of give you maybe a glimpse into a different side of him where he does care about these kids. You know, he has to be this tough coach. I don't know. It, it, it was interesting. He was also trying to stand up for him at the college yeah. visit when Marquette was there, right? Yeah. Talking to him. Well, that was, uh, was that William? That was William. Yeah, so I was mm-hmm. I, Arthur. Like he really had no reason to oh, keep following yeah. Arthur's career, other right. than there. Like, is there? It was there a part of him that still cared about this kid, and that's why he was going. So right. I thought the filmmaking was insane. Like the footage they were able to get, which is all real stuff, and you know, for the kids to not like constantly looking at the camera, or mm-hmm. you know, the filmmaking was amazing. Yeah. I mean, because these are normal people that, yeah. you know, and I'm sure they had a pour over footage to get the right stuff. Right. But 
it's wow like yeah. really well done well thanks for watching <laughs> yeah that was really it was a good watch i'm glad we uh i'm glad you picked this one did you guys and have yeah. a, a favorite oh. scene in the film mine was definitely when like after that championship championship game where they both hugged and were like really supportive and then again when arthur when marshall won and arthur's like i told you on the phone what i was gonna do to william i, yeah. I loved just seeing their friendship was really cool near the end cool mike what do you think oh man there are so yeah. many there are so many. Uh, the first one that will just come to mind is when Arthur's team is like doing well in the state tournament and going downstate. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think they're like at a McDonald's and they're like, there's like the Arthur's family is black and they're talking to like yeah. a white family. And like, they, there's just like this moment of connection between yeah. these two families. Arthur's mom in that film is a real standout. Yes. Oh yes. yes. He is just incredible. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the first one that kind of comes to mind, but the, the, the whole movie is just a collection of just incredible moments. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of Arthur's mom, she was so, she was so honest to the whole documentary, yes. you know, she was like, if you are, if you're going to, it was like, if you're going to be filming us, I'm going to show you what we're really going through and like how this is impacting our family. And the whole documentary is yeah. super honest. Like when Spike really, Lee shows up for like 30 seconds, is yeah. talking about how, yeah, these schools will absolutely take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. It's like, yep, Spike Lee, you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought the filmmakers, they must've done a really good job building trust with both these families to get this yes. footage and get this deep into the story, which yeah. is a really impressive thing to do. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Thanks for checking it out. We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Cinema Synonyms. We're going to see how well both of you know movies based on synonyms of their titles. So Mike, you'll be playing against Susan. In honor of Hoop Dreams, all of the films today will be sports movies. So here are the rules. You will each have one minute on the timer, and I'm going to give you the title of film, but I've changed out the words for synonyms. If you don't know the answer, you can pass. And whoever gets the most correct will win our prize. So, Susan, what's our prize? It is some Life in the Credits merchandise. Hey, like all right. A shirt or a mug. We'll just mail you. Yeah. Mail you something in the mail, Mike. <laughs> now, you have chosen to go first by electing to let Susan choose. Choose to go second. <laughs> so, Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. We have one minute on the clock. So, here we go. Your first one. Ring Aspirations. Rocky? Ring Aspirations. Think of about a movie that we just talked about. Ring Aspirations. Uh, pass. I'm going to be bad at this game. That's okay. Pale males are unable to leap. White men can't jump. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Big Club. Big Club. Uh, pass. NASCAR Evenings. Days of Thunder? No. Talladega Nights. Yes. Oh. The Martial Arts Child. Kung Fu Panda? Nope. I'm sorry. Silver Metal Chalice. Pass. Club Lugger Shed. Club Lugger Shed? Pass. Indianians. Hoosiers? Yes. <laughs> and that's a minute. Good job, Mike. Okay. You got three okay. correct. That's, this is hard. Okay. This, this is, is much harder this than I thought it would be. This is a very hard game. So <laughs> okay. real quick, we're going to go over them very fast. Okay. Susan, you'll go next. So Ring Aspirations was Hoop Dreams. 
Oh. oh, I didn't know you were going to just pick one of the movies. That we just <laughs> about. I thought that would be an easy one. Yeah. Uh, you got White Man Can't Jump. Yeah. Big that Club was. was Major League. Oh. The Martial Arts Child was The Karate Kid. Oh. Uh, uh, Club Lugger Shed. That's hard. That one's really hard. Caddyshack. Uh, Club Lugger yeah. Shed. All right. That is three points for Mike. Susan. Okay. You're going to have one minute. Are you okay. ready? Yes. Your first one. Vehicles. Cars? Yes. <laughs> the Invisible Border. Invisible Border. I don't pass. Okay. The H2O Dude. Swim fan? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Recall the behemoths. Remember the Titans. Correct. The Strong Quackers. Mighty Ducks? Yes. The Eroded Rock Parcel. Pass. Evade Sphere. Pass. Chill Joggings. Chill Joggings? Two seconds. Run. I'm sorry, you're out of time. What? <laughs> All right, let's go over. You guys okay. tied at three, by the way. Do you have a tiebreaker? Uh, yeah, well, I have a lot more of these. We're just going to go until one of you gets one. So, yeah, you got cars. The H2O yeah. dude was the water boy. Oh, okay. That is, yeah. Uh, the eroded rock parcel is the sand lot. Oh, my God. I never would have gotten that. Evade sphere <laughs> is dodgeball. Okay, that, that makes sense. And chill joggings. Is this was, cool runnings? It is cool uh, runnings. I'm sorry, but you did not get it in time. Know. All right, so here's our tiebreaker. So, okay. Mike, Susan, what okay. you guys are going to do is I'm going to give you one, and this is going to be a hard one. Okay. But if you can name it, you will win. So, is this like sudden death? This is sudden okay. death. Whoever names it first okay. is the winner. All right, so here we go. Twist it as folk singer Easter dinner. What? <laughs> Twist it as folk singer Easter dinner. Bull Durham. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Susan, do you have a guess? Twist it? I have no idea. Okay, the answer was bend it like Beckham. Oh my God. Beckham, how is that Easter dinner? Beck is folk singer and ham is Easter dinner. Oh my God. All right, I have one more for you. Stay with us here, Mike. We'll get it. Monarch Clasp. I'm just happy that Susan and I are equally terrible at yeah. this. <laughs> I don't know right, any I'll give, of these. I'll give you a hint. This is a bowling movie. Kingpin. Yeah! Uh, well done. Oh, Monarch. I was thinking of Butterfly, and then I was thinking Boxing, and then I couldn't get off that thread in my brain. <laughs> well, Mike, well done. You pulled it out. That was a hard game, but you won. Nice. Good. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, uh, I might have to retire that game. That was yeah, rough. Really <laughs> well, Mike, before we let you go, would you like to plug anything? No, well, I'll, I'll plug one project just because okay. uh, I just saw the uh, the director's cut. We did a, a, a the biopic of the, the Weird Al Yankovic story. Yes. Starring so Dan excited. Radcliffe. So uh, excited to see it. Yeah, I, I just saw it for the first time on Friday, and, uh, and I'm real and and it's the director's cut, so obviously yeah. it's yeah. a little long, but it's uh 
It's really good. I think people <laughs> dig it. And, and, and the whole cast is amazing. Daniel Radcliffe is, mm-hmm. is incredible. So that's, that should be out later on this year. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for folks to check that out. Very cool. Fantastic. Players is a great show. Uh, we did a show a few years ago called American Vandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the creators of that have a show coming out in June called Players awesome. on Paramount+. Plus. That's kind of, speaking of sports, it's kind of like The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, but yeah, set cool. in the world of League of Legends. Oh, yeah. Right. Cool. So yeah, I would say you should keep an eye out for that players. Okay. Uh, I think it comes out June 16th. So okay. it's, a, it's outstanding. If, if awesome. you liked American Vandal, you'll, you'll love this. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. None of us are here to disparage the cat videos. Yeah, well said. <laughs>